I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm speaking with Colleen Barry, an Associate Professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Barry has co-authored a perspective article on the obesity epidemic and public opinion in the United States. Dr. Barry, let's begin with the recent report from the Institute of Medicine, Accelerating Progress in Obesity Prevention. That report recommends a systems approach to the problem that proceeds on multiple environmental fronts. In your view, is that the right approach? So first, I want to thank you for inviting me to speak with you about this important topic. Um, And with regard to whether the IOM is proposing the right approach, I would say absolutely. And let me just begin by saying that most Americans are familiar with the basic statistics of obesity in America, but they're probably worth repeating that two-thirds of adults and a third of children are obese or overweight, and that over the last three decades or so, these rates have doubled in adults and tripled in kids. And I think the consequences of having such high rates of obesity in America are, are, are serious. We see increasingly for our health in terms of cost to the economy, Uh, the psychological well-being of children, and research actually even suggests that our military readiness has been affected by high rates of obesity because many eligible young adults are above these weight requirements that we set for service. And after a decade of pretty concerted efforts by the public health community to tackle this, I think it's clear that we're not making much of a dent in terms of reducing rates of obesity. So the great thing about the IOM report is that it identifies that something needs to change in our approach. If it were just a matter of educating individuals and parents to make better choices about food and about exercise, I think we'd probably be doing a better job than we currently are at reducing obesity rates. And what the report does is different from what we typically see in discourse about obesity. That is, it presents us with a much broader view that the epidemic has been driven by this complex set of changing factors that have affected our schools, um, our workplaces, our communities, our media, importantly, our food and beverage systems, and that meaningful change will only be possible if we if we all take some responsibility for solving the problem. And I think this notion of joint responsibility is really at the heart of the IOM's report. The IOM report points out that the risk of obesity is often highest among minority, low-income, less educated, and more rural populations. How should the country be addressing these disparities? Yeah, um, well, it's certainly the case that the obesity epidemic has hit the groups that you mentioned more heavily. And the environmental drivers of obesity are particularly evident, I think, if you visit these poor communities, lack of availability and affordability of healthy foods, fewer good, safe places for kids to get exercise and, frankly, for adults to get exercise. Um, And the good news is that there are obesity reduction policies that are specifically targeted to help address these disparities um, to improve population health in lower-income communities, to better monitor and regulate food marketing practices that target low-income communities and, importantly, target kids in low-income communities. But I think the bad news is that the broader American public is not totally on board yet with the idea that these kinds of changes are needed. So increasing support for targeted policies could go a long way toward addressing this disparity dimension of obesity that you're, that you're referring to. As you say, and, and you actually draw on survey data in your article to show it, 
many Americans don't believe that the epidemic is caused by environmental factors. Many Americans blame individuals and think that the responsibility for reversing the epidemic lies with individual people rather than with the government or the larger society. To what extent do you think that view is influenced by the fact that it is poorer minority populations that are the most affected? Well, I do think that the fact that obesity has disproportionately affected poor communities is a factor here, but I really don't think it's the whole story. Obesity rates have increased across the board, and these increases have affected all of us, albeit to somewhat different degrees. Um, And from a public opinion perspective, I think it's perfectly natural to want to believe that if we just could make better food and exercise choices as individuals, the problem would disappear. It's not too complicated a concept, but there's this psychological principle that is is pretty well established called the fundamental attribution error, and that is that when bad things happen to us, to me, I tend or we tend to blame the situation or the environment that we're in, but when bad things happen to other people, we blame them, that they're just making bad choices. And there's a concern that it would be exacerbated by cues that emphasize differences among us, differences by race, differences by income. It's easier to stigmatize people if we rationalize to ourselves that they're different. And here's where implementing obesity prevention with attention to the potential for unintended consequences I think is particularly critical. And the IOM report really took this concern on directly. If obesity prevention efforts result in increasing blame and stigma directed toward poor and minority communities, then we're creating a problem as far as I'm concerned rather than solving one. Similarly, if obesity prevention efforts result in penalizing obese people for something that may at least be partially outside their control, then we're making the problem worse rather than solving it. And it's not just because it's bad to make people feel bad about themselves, which it certainly is, but because research suggests that people who experience stigma and discrimination have a harder time losing weight. To carry this a step further, the data you present show that more politically conservative Americans are more likely to believe the individual responsibility argument rather than the environmental argument. So more broadly, to what extent have politics gotten in the way of implementing an effective program to combat obesity? So this is a great question, and I I think the question of politics and political ideology is extremely relevant here. Over the last 10 years, obesity has been catapulted onto the public agenda. Um, Ten years ago, when the Surgeon General's report came out in 2001, there was much less attention to this issue. And data suggests that early on, the obesity issue was not heavily politicized. And I think this has changed over time with the introduction of some more ideologically charged obesity prevention policies, such as taxes on sugary drinks and other policies that target the food and beverage industry, which elicit very different levels of support by ideology. But I think it's also worth noting that if you look at the data that we presented in our perspective article, all individuals, conservatives, moderates, liberals alike, attribute an equally high and very high level of responsibility for solving the problem of obesity to individuals and parents in particular. That said, as with many other health policy issues, public views about different obesity prevention policies are often related to their views about the role of government, which, as we see in a very daily way, is dependent on an individual's ideological worldview. So, yes, I do think that politics complicate obesity prevention efforts. In answer, you recommend better communication strategies to educate the public about the evidence on contributors to rising obesity rates. Who do you think should be doing that communicating, and what should it entail? 
Well, um, the IOM tells us that many different groups should be involved in changing communication and the messages we hear about exercise and food and nutrition, um, private business, nonprofits, the government itself, and it should include social marketing, food and beverage marketing, product labeling, nutritional education, and more broadly, beyond sort of the recommendations of the IOM, we know that public communication strategies are most effective when they generate widespread levels of exposure that come from many different sources. And one thing that we haven't discussed yet that is relevant is that the IOM report was released in conjunction with a special four-part documentary by HBO. And this documentary I thought was extremely well done in the way it portrayed individuals struggling with their weight in a positive, non-stigmatizing light, in the way that it showed what it's like for poor children living in low-resource neighborhoods to grow up without playgrounds, without grocery stores, um, and bombarded by aggressive marketing of products with really little or no nutritional value. And I think this is exactly the kind of non-traditional partnership that can be really helpful in changing the way that the public thinks about obesity. I think messages coming only from the government are likely to be viewed with some suspicion by the public given anti-government views. So finding other trusted sources to discuss obesity prevention messages is, is essential. You know, community groups, churches, doctors, nurses, getting this conversation going with our friends and our social networks. And something like the HBO special can help prompt these kinds of conversations, I think. I'm imagining that just as it takes a long, sustained effort for a person to lose weight and keep it off, it's going to take a long, sustained effort at the population level to turn this epidemic around. What sorts of changes do you think we need to make a sustained, successful effort? I think the IOM report provides a really nice roadmap for us here. But I also think that the case of tobacco can be informative in thinking about how um, this kind of change might occur. For tobacco, we began to see a recognition of the problem in the late 1950s, early 60s, and then slowly over a period of about 30 years, the social climate around smoking began to shift from thinking about smoking as a habit to an addiction, from notions of free choice to increasing views of related to the heavy influence by cigarette marketing, particularly targeted at children. And then states got involved and began to experiment with policies that would make real changes to the environment, um, taxes to raise the cost of cigarettes, rules prohibiting smoking indoors, restrictions on marketing. And most recently, we see this idea of large graphic warning labels. And we've seen dramatic declines in cigarette smoking over this period, slow, steady, but meaningful, I think, in terms of lives saved. And this analogy between cigarettes and unhealthy food and drinks is is certainly not perfect, but I think it's helpful in suggesting that this process will take time, but we already see states and cities are beginning to experiment with policies aimed at creating healthier environments to reduce obesity. Of course, some will work and some won't work, um, but we'll learn about which ones are effective through this process and which ones we might want to implement in other regions. And I think all of this will be critical to changing the culture around how we think about obesity. As you know, Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of New York, has proposed a ban on sugar-sweetened beverages in sizes larger than 16 ounces. That has created quite a lot of controversy nationwide. Do you think that it represents a a way that uh, we should be moving? 
So that's a great question. And in my view, what Mayor Bloomberg has proposed in New York, that is banning these big gulp products that you see everywhere, is very much in the spirit of the IOM report's call for big and bold changes, frankly. And I understand that people don't like being told what they can and can't buy, but I think that the fact that children and adolescents are major consumers of these products that they have no redeeming nutritional value and that they're one of, we see um, increasingly in the evidence, one of the single largest drivers of obesity means that we have some latitude here to make changes in how these beverages are marketed and sold. And I think the mayor gets credit for trying to think creatively about how to try to do something that will make a meaningful difference given this increasing evidence that trying to make small changes at the margin aren't really getting us where we need to be. And I think the reality is that he's getting roughed over about it by the beverage companies who, for good reason, have a lot at stake in terms of protecting company profits. So we'll have to see, wait and see what happens. The IOM report envisions a future in which obesity prevention is integrated into the fabric of schools, workplaces, doctors' offices, outdoor environments, stores, restaurants, much as you described the history of tobacco control. How realistic do you think that IOM vision is, and what do you see as the first steps to get us there? Well, I certainly think the IOM vision is achievable, but I do think that some very fundamental changes are going to have to occur to get us from here to there. And in terms of first steps, I think the main goal for me and my colleagues in writing this perspective was to emphasize that understanding public opinion on obesity is a precursor to coming up with strategies for shifting how the public thinks about this issue. And for me, one primary takeaway from the perspective is that simply making the public aware of the public health crisis around obesity is not necessarily going to be enough to motivate big change. I think frequently we think that if people just understood that this is a huge problem, that that would be enough to get individuals and institutions to make pretty fundamental changes. But I think it's true that again and again we see that this isn't the case in the context of important public health and public policy debates. In the perspective we mentioned climate change as, as an example of this, but there are many other social problems one could point to that have this characteristic of an increasing and significant level of attention and awareness of the problem in the absence of significant change at the policy level. And I think sometimes greater attention to a problem can actually inhibit change to the extent that it leads to greater political polarization, as we see and we've discussed some signs of in the context of obesity. Thank you, Dr. Barry. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me the chance to chat with you about this today.